Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Bass and Breaks. Hello, I'm Mike. How are you doing? And on this episode, we are celebrating 25 years of finger licking records. A little bit later on, we're going to be speaking to Jem from Soul of Man, who founded finger licking records, but also we're going to be playing a load of great finger licking tracks. We're going to kick it off with this one, possibly in my top five of favorite finger licking tracks. It's the Dramatic Twins and Hyperspeed.
playing us out in the background, Dramatic Twins, a track called Hyperspeed. This is Bass and Breaks, a very special episode of Bass and Breaks, celebrating 25 years of the world's greatest breakbeat label. That's right, Finger Licking Records has a silver jubilee this coming weekend, and they're putting on an amazing party with the Plum DJs, Crafty Cuts, Ace Skills, Dramatic Twins, Lee Coombs, Soul of Man, Slide, Stereoite, and Jessica Joy all playing. Earlier this week, I caught up with Jem, one half of Solo Man, but one of the guys who actually set up Finger Licking Records. Just have a chat around about kind of talking 25 years of finger licking. First off, I asked him how did finger licking come about and also how did he meet his partner in crime, Justin? Well, I met Justin. Um, so I think I met him about 94, could have been 95, but I just left, I'd done a degree of in graphics at Camberwell. Uh, and left. It was a completely useless degree. It was kind of just the turn of desktop publishing. So, you know, I left having learned to move bits around with glue and scalpels and suddenly, you know, computers were taking over. And also I wasn't really interested in graphics and I'd been dabbling in animation. But I've been getting really into music in a massive way. And since I was a teenager, I've been building up a little recording setup. I had a little four track and it went to an eight track and nothing sort of computer until a bit later on, it was all sort of analog because I'm a drummer and clashes to play a little bit keyboard. So I was just getting these little grooves going. But when I left uh, Campbell, I was a sort of jobbing graphic designer. So I was doing, uh, and percussionist. In fact, that's how I met Justin because I did a session playing percussion on a track uh, that introduced me to this label in inverted commas. It was a sort of... Um, group of people um up in sort of northwest london um and uh they were putting out like ibiza compilations it was very, before anyone was really doing that kind of thing uh and like american sort of stateside compilations and justin was working i remember literally the first time i saw him he was sort of behind his desk wearing his bobble hat um working in this office of real nutters and gangsters and geezers and um <laughs> a really like bizarre place and uh, I think he was doing licensing or, or something, you know, or, or helping compile these albums. And uh, and so we got chatting and, you know, I had this very crude setup. And I'd already done a single by that point on a label called um, Sultana. And I had an Atari, which I had synced up to my 808 reel-to-reel, uh, my 8-track reel-to-reel. And I had like a Roland W30. And that was about it. I had a really simple sort of... Um, set up but um we we got kind of jamming and he was doing a fair bit of djing um he had a sort of connection in switzerland he was off like djing there for a fair few times and so i became his percussionist for a while so i used to take my bongos and congas out and we played together and do these sets and we did a few things around town as well and um we uh just got recording and we made um Justin had already started a label called Spirits of Inspiration, and it was sort of quite, quite. I mean, to be blunt, it was quite cheesy how I listen to it now, but it was, you know, very sort of, we were just sort of messing around and um, we put out a few tracks on that, and that sort of tested the water and just we we go to like a bigger studio and record it properly. And, um, it was a good kind of basis for what we sort of got interested in doing. And our interest started... We both loved house music, um, but my background really was funk and music I was really into then was sort of 
just quite a mix from everything from like Mo Wax to a lot of American like New York jazz sort of stuff like DJ Smash and um, uh, you know that kind of thing and um, more more the jazzy break it end of things and there was this sort of little breakbeat thing just in start of Vinyl Addiction the record shock in Camden and it became very clear there was a sort of undercurrent this exciting kind of music that seemed to fuse our interests in house and hip hop and funk in quite a ramshackle way. So it was quite a natural evolution for us to start making that kind of music. And um, we had a lot of jamming sessions and we decided after doing a few white labels and a few other sort of dabbling experiments that we'd have a go at starting a label as a sort of brand, as some kind of um, umbrella where we could do lots of different things. So at that point, it was literally just going to be me and Justin. And the first few releases were me and Justin, another friend of ours, Duncan Scott. So me and Dunks was Freak Jalapeno. And I with Justin, like we were Soul of Man, Osmosis, Two in the Bush. Um, we didn't have any names for for these until later on, but we just made such a weird mixture of tracks and different tempos and different styles of breaks that we thought, well, let's make finger licking this umbrella and we can wear different hats and, and try lots of mm. different things. So um, we sort of had a lineup of the first four or five tunes and knew kind of where we were going and put, gave ourselves different names. And So we could have ended up being Two in the Bush or we could have ended up being Osmosis, but Soul Man stuck somehow, I think, just because the tracks we were doing just seemed to fuse. Um, and that name actually even just came from really late on we were trying to work out what to call ourselves and then in love and hate there's a sample where he's going to solve the man, yeah. the man, the man. i was made mine ben so why don't you use that as a name yeah um so and then it just sort of picked up from there really i think we were about four or five tunes down and people started sending demos in and um it suddenly became a beast <laughs> Well, let's play that first record, uh, Love and Hate. Uh, this is Solo Man, Love and Hate. Now watch and I'll show you the story of life. 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 The soul of man. Now watch him. Now watch him. 
Now watch him. Oh, brother left hand. Left hand hates the fight. And it looks like love's a goner. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Dog loves the winning. Yes, sir. straight to the soul of man 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 the right hand friends the hand of love these fingers their hearts is always a war and a tugging one against the other now watch him old brother left hand left hand hates the fight and it looks like love's a goner but wait a minute wait a minute dog love's doing it yes sir it's love that one So that was the first record out of Finger Licking. Um, and I was listening back to that one today, actually. And 
I did hear the Soul of Man sample in there and did wonder if that's where it came from. So that's that's good to know. Indeed. Um, so obviously, well, those who know, if you know Finger Licking, you know that every single, um, well, not every single, but a lot of the records have this unique artwork which which she created. When did that come a part of the kind of Finger Licking identity? Well, um, the brown thing came quite early on. Um, a, a, I, we, I, we knew in my head that we wanted to do something, you know, just a strong kind of image. And it's a really funky name, so I imagined the lettering being really funky. But at the time, it was very extravagant uh, to do anything like coloured sleeves. So we didn't. We, that was never an idea from the start. It was a sort of natural evolution, really. So. We started off having sort of generic colour sleeves with my artwork for the for the logo that we tried in different colours and and then but I think it was about a third or fourth release by I think it was Flint possibly I can't remember but I started drawing a, a design for the label uh, or the actual label on the on the record and it's still it was very expensive so I was doing it in duotone so literally just two colours uh, and as these drawings then made it to the front cover and we did the Dread Zone one and we did a couple of other things. And then it just became more apparent that we could afford to do it. And it just gave us a look and it just helped with the racking and it just just created this sort of picture, really. Um, and before that, no one had really done that, especially with breaks. It was quite a sort of, um, I can't think of the word, but just uh, it, there was nothing sort of glamorous about it. Um, not that we were trying to be glamorous, but... Um, it just it was it really felt right to start making that a real sort of feature. Uh, and again, it was just before any venues had like projections or, or anything like that, so we hadn't even thought about how we might be able to include it in the whole sort of wider picture. But yeah. in terms of sort of t-shirts and stickers and things, that I always love. It just seemed a natural progression to start making very sort of vivid imagery and keep it really funky, like the music, and you know, have something yeah. to people to, to identify with. And also, I really love doing it. I mean, it's for me, it was an absolute pleasure to do the music and do the visuals. And it was the first time in my life that I've been able to fuse the two together. When I was art, at art school, I was really sort of battling because I was really in love with doing music. Um, and I couldn't, it didn't even occur to me to try and join them. They always were sort of in competition with each other. And I was always trying to work out which one I should be prioritizing. And actually, Finger licking was the first time I could actually do the two. So, um, yeah, it was a really, really happy time of fusion. Great. What was, so the first track that had that, it was, was it the Dread Zone one? Is that uh, with, the, with the full artwork? Or was... um, yeah, I think that was the first one that um, was, had an illustration on the cover. Um, and that was a duo tone, so that was literally just black and orange uh, on reverse boards so it looked kind of earthy. Uh, and then I think it was the juice, possibly, was the first colour one. It was a hand mm. squeezing a orange onto a record deck. Yeah. Um, and, or, you'll have to, someone will have to, the train spotters will have to let me know. I think it could have been finger licking tools. We did like a sort of DJ tools thing. But I think as soon as oh, we did it, it was, there was no turning back. As soon as we saw the colour sleeve, I mean, I remember seeing both of those for the first time thinking, wow. Yeah. There was, there was definitely no turning back after that. But it was expensive. It added like 80p to our costs. Um, <laughs> quite hard to actually make any money off final in those days. You know, like, you know, we had HMV and people like that who really had us over a barrel. There was only so much that we could 
charge them. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was a sacrifice in a way, but it 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 really helped put us on the map, I think. So finger licking definitely feels like that it was a spiritual home for people like the Plump DJs, Dramatic Twins, Lee Coombs. How did they get in touch with you? How did you discover them? Well, um, as I said, we started off really as a vehicle for, for me and Justin and our own musical um, dabblings, really. Um, but um, we uh, just, I think as we started to get the tracks out, people sort of came to us um, and uh, or we discovered things that we knew that we needed to have part of, of what we were doing. Um, I mean, in terms of the plump DJs, they brought in a cassette uh, of electric disco and what was the other one, Plumpy Chunks, which, uh, you know, blew us away straight away and um, became their first single within months, I think. Uh, and um, Lee Coombs, for instance, um, he was a van driver, I think, for Moe's Music or something, I can't remember. And he uh, brought his own record in to Vinyl Addiction, which was Thrust One. And again, for me and Justin, it was like, that is a finger that can tune if ever there was one. Uh, and so we signed him on the back of that and re-released that. And um, and same with Robin and, and Jason and uh, and everybody. I mean, but people that we knew and loved, like Crafty. And um, we were all sort of like-minded souls and everyone sort of, what was so lovely is everyone had that kind of funk vibe and with very sort of breaks but they had their own sort of leaning so they had really had their own flavor so they really complemented the whole finger licking picture you know Coombsy was quite mm. housey and um plumps were very funky but quite you know quite futuristic and um what we and justin were doing was you know it's just sort of very sort of scruffy and funky and a little bit housey and um slide was super super funky um and um everyone sort of complimented each other and uh and it wasn't competitive but everyone wanted to sort of really do something you know really good i think so that kind of kept us kind of burning and kept kept the stuff you know at a sort of caliber yeah i uh i reached um so one of the the features on basin breaks is uh who remembers this one and uh, last month's uh, Who Remembers This One was Slide, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm. And I've had that probably on repeat for about the last month because it's just like, just the kind of, that kind of roaring bass line that he's just got in it. Plus yeah. also the, the wicked vocals over the top. I just love that record. Yeah, I think it's superb. I think Slide, out of all the things they've asked, is, is probably the most underrated. I think what they did uh, was incredible with Lady Posh and, and their other vocalists. Mm. And I think... Actually, if they'd been in other hands, they might have gone, been able to sort of pop up even more mainstream because I think the production is superb and um, they're really crisp and quite poppy, but really still underground. I think they got the balance perfectly. Um, yeah, no, I love their stuff. Well, actually, a slight detour. Let's play a, a slide record. Which which slide record would you would you go for? Well, that's a good question. Um, but probably the first one, Slippy Slide, because that is the one that um, really caught my attention. It, it, we got hold of it just before an Australia tour, and um, it was always a great place to take new music because they were like really hungry. Back in the day, you know, before digital, you know, you take a test pressing, and the DJs particularly they would be like, "What are they playing?" Uh, and if you put brought something new, I remember 
every time there'd be something new from one of our artists that we could play that no one else had got. And I remember being really excited about playing that because it's just, it's easy to mix. It's got a great drop. It's just a fabulous party tune. You can play it after anything to start a new chapter or you can drop it in. And it's just really great.
So we're back with Jem from Fingerlicking, and I just want to pick up on, on one thing because like, we were talking about the uh, slides and the wicked vocals that they had, and uh, I want to big you up, actually. Soul of Man did an amazing track called Suck That, and I listened to it again. I was just going to get myself into the frame of mind to to, to talk to you and just wanted to go through something. And I re-listened to that again today as well. And I just love the attitude on that on that record, the, the vocals are just... Is there a story behind that? how that record was created? Uh, yes. Well, kind of. So those vocals, they came from this uh, rapper called the Hip Hop Candy MC. Mm. Justin will have to tell the story because I can't remember how they came about. I think she recorded a track. Justin had done a track called Wickedest Sound or, or could have been a different track, but she recorded all these vocals. Uh, and we had it. I'd had it on a DAT for ages and we did try it on loads of different things um, and it never seemed to fit. And then um, I remember particularly that track because I think it was the first track that I ever made on a Mac. Mm. I'd been using an Atari right up to that point. And so it was quite difficult. I was learning a whole new language and sort of tearing my hair out. Um, and um, But I got this groove going and... Um, I just worked out how to sort of time stretch and move things around. And this vocal just snapped in and it just sounded absolutely perfect. And it's such a great vocal because it kind of tells a story. And then you can start, as you start arranging and putting in the the lyrics, you can start adding the bits that she's talking about, like, you know, mm. come in the bass and, and all these kind of things. And so it's a really, it made it a real fun track to sort of construct around where, where vocals. And it's just such a great delivery. But I can't remember. Her name is Mel, I think, but I, I can't. I know we tried to get in touch with her. I, she, I hope she's heard it. I have no idea. It's a while ago now. How, how long ago? There was also a great remix. Um, yeah, Rogue Element uh, did a remix. Yes, yeah, superb. Yeah, so I think I, I first heard the Rogue Element remix, and actually, bizarrely, when I worked on commercial radio, I chopped the first bit off and used that as a bed to talk over. So right. hopefully they registered the PRS for that because that, <laughs> because uh, that was used a lot. But um, but yeah, I loved the flip side. I loved your the original your version as well. So it just both of them were just absolutely they were a staple in my early break sets for for a very long time. So you know what? Let's let's play that now. We'll play the original. Uh, so yeah, sucked at sold man uh, here on Bass and Breaks. Introducing the hip-hop candy MC, that's me. Brought you into this world And as a matter of fact I do like to ride slide 
a hundred girl checking whack, looking tired, lit, bouncing, ego early, mousing, low, trash, eating, sleep, catching, rubbish, running, ten, timing, no talent, looking psychoholic, idiot, why? pumping is the bass. Five years. It's been a moment. Uh, the last release was 2009. Is that correct, or am I imagining? Yeah, uh, could have been 2008. Yeah. It's been a moment, anyway, since Fingerlicking has released. You, <laughs> yeah. you have set up your own label uh, since then, uh, called Bonafido, uh, which I'm a huge fan of as well. And you put your album, Gemstones album, through that. Uh, and just before we started chatting, you said that you making a new album do tell well i i have well first of all i just say about bonafido um and i need to just big up mike here because he was quite instrumental in helping me set it up because um uh, this is about five years ago i was at this point where um i was I released quite a few different gemstone tracks on a few different labels and i just had like a load of archive stuff on Bandcamp and I really wanted to find a platform. So it was never meant to be a label where I was going to start putting new stuff out. It was meant to just sort of, um, you know, just get my older stuff rubbing shoulders with my my, my, my other releases. Um, but actually it gave birth to this whole sort of new uh, chapter where I was doing some music um, with Lee Plump under the name of Midnight Heist and I was doing... Um, also relicensed some old, some old stuff. So one of my favourite tracks, I mean, you talk about tracks that stay in your box forever mm. and ever, Seize the Time by Fuselage. Yeah. I had in my box from, for, since about 1999 or whatever it was, and it literally never left my box. Uh, and it had never been available digitally, so uh, I managed to track down the guys and convince them to let me put it out, and I did a mix for it. Um, so, um, but one thing that... 
I realised a few months or years down the line of doing bona fides, actually, I remember what a bastard job it is trying to run a label. <laughs> and how actually it really affects what you do creatively. Yeah. Uh, and so I, because Fingerlichen, um, like everything, I mean, breaks got very, very specific. Mm. And as you were saying before, breaks has a tendency, some wing of it, to, to be quite nerdy and sort of quite sort of train spotty, quite specific, quite... Um, when we started the label, it was just a, a free-for-all. And, um, you know, I, I, I was inspired by labels like Mo Wax mm. and Tummy Touch and I wanted to be like Marble Bar, you know, doing the Bronx Dogs. and You know, I wanted a real mixture of things and sounds and tempos and everything. And that's kind of how we started. You know, we had the freaky jalapeno, sort of more mid-tempo-y stuff. But there was, there was a real mixture of things. And um, But as the years went on, it got very specific, uh, which drove me mad, really. I found it very sort of restrictive. So when Fingerlicking stopped, I, I kind of vowed I would not be a victim to, you know, trying to be fit in with something and try and, you know, just get back to where I was when it started, mm. sort of a bit more sort of freeform. But having said that, um, once you start a label and once you have to work out, you know, who your audience is and try and pinpoint it, um, it really affects you when you're trying to make music, when you're trying to forget all that. Because I think the most natural, most amazing music happens when you're not thinking yeah. about who's going to listen to it and why. So I was finding myself in my music studio, just a few steps down that way, sort of sitting down going, I don't care who's going to listen to it or why, I'm just going to make some music. And then I'd come back to my office a few steps here and go, right, who's going to listen to it, why? <laughs> and so I had this sort of split personality going on. Um, so I, I put put uh, a pause on it while I sort of got on with some music. And so I made an album through lockdown and um, it's something that's really, I'm very excited. It's, it's really me, it's kind of, very musical and very it's still got my kind of club uh interests and, and production and but it's it, it tells a sort of story and the other thing i'm doing is a very is have a very visual side to it and actually i can't reveal too much about it at the moment but i'm not going to release it myself it's going to come out on another label oh cool um, but i'm very excited because it's a whole it's going back to this whole sort of fusion thing it's, it's very visual yeah it's got a sort of visual accompaniment and it's, it has a sort of narrative so it's been about three, three, four years in the making, and um, it's pretty well finished. And so, uh, I will, I hope to get that going and make an announcement, you know, in the next few months. I should hope. Amazing! That, that's really yeah. cool. I'm looking forward to it. I am yeah, genuinely excited for excited you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's play a record from Bonafido. And personally, I would really like to play uh, "Seize the Time," but I'm going to give it. Back to you, as it's your label. Which track from Bonafide would you like to play? Oh, right. Um, well, I think you can play that. I think um, it reminds me of really happy times. It's funny, so the other thing that we're doing at the moment for, to sort of get excited about the party and encourage people to tell their finger-licking stories is I've been doing posts on the finger-licking Facebook page and on Instagram about great events that have happened mm. through the years. Um and so 25 years ago, we were doing a weekly 
uh, night at Dogstar in Britain. <laughs> so actually, was, when I read about this, I kind yeah. of dawned on me that we've actually got something quite in common because I had a residency there as well at one point. So that, oh, really? that, I found that really amusing. Like I was doing deep house and breaks nights uh, probably about oh, wow. 10 years after you guys were doing it. Wow. So uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, we, we took over Jerry Damas's night. Yeah on a Thursday night so it was we had quite a heady responsibility to, mm. to keep up you know a lot of people pissed off that his night had ended so we we kind of stepped in and um, and it was right at the very start we just started the label and we really were sort of cutting our teeth in terms of what we loved to, to play and what we were trying to do uh, and of course we were young and wild it mm-hmm. was really messy night and it meant that you know Friday Saturday Sunday was just you know we were just in pieces <laughs> um, but um there, it was a really happy time of just like i was saying that whole mishmash of tracks that was a real you know and it was big beat mm. is what it was really you know to give it a name but it was it was anything it was anything that wasn't house um you know i we you know like i said me and justin loved house but the house was going through a very sort of slick sort of soulless mm-hmm. uh, period at that time um which it has recovered from but at the time it was very sort of um over mainstream and just just over branded and soulless really mm. so this a whole big beat or breaks thing was a sort of reaction to that i think where just everything was scruffy and you know um sampling was very raw mm. and a real sort of magpie you know everyone's just taking big chunks of everything and obviously fat boy slim was just starting mm. then and it was a really great time and seize the time uh i think encapsulates for me that that time it's got a great kind of jazzy sample it's got wicked kind of i can't remember who the sounds from the beats just great um and um again it's a good good fun thing to mix uh and um yeah it's just Yeah, I love it. And it really reminds me of that time. So yeah, I think I would choose that track, please, Mike. I got a few things I want to say.
outside of finger licking, you are an amazing artist. Uh, I actually, we met because I bought a print from you, um, which I saw at the, I think it's the Riverside in Richmond. Uh, you had a, an art showing there and I took a picture of it and probably about five years later, I actually then bought it from you, um, which right. is still in a uh, private place in my living room. And I stare at it every day and I think it's just an amazing yeah. piece. It's, it's a monster and I just, I love it. But, um, you also did all the artwork for for a lot of your parties as well, which I know you've been posting recently. Um, but I just wanted to talk a little bit kind of outside of finger licking. And I know you uh, you DJ a lot. You, you're particularly down the kind of the funkier side of things. So if you were going to choose a record that was not finger licking and is basically the one that's in your record box these days or USB or whatever you, you're playing off these days, that you just like, you know what? I need to reset the dance floor and I just want to get everyone going. What record would that be? Yeah, very good question. Um, and obviously it depends on the crowd, but I would say um, one another track that's never left my box is um, Let's Have Scratch for Breakfast by Ski Whiff. Mm. And um, I'll tell you why it's such a great track. Um in fact, I'm going to tell you a quick story about it if we've got time. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually, it's the first track I ever played as Soul of Man, my first ever Soul of Man gig. And um, I've been a funk DJ for years, but I'd um, never been a breaks DJ and I couldn't even mix for Toffee. I didn't even own a pair of decks. Mm -hmm. I just had one record player at home. And um, very quickly after our first few releases on Finglick, we were suddenly getting booked for gigs and suddenly we found ourselves with a tour. It's like, oh my God. And I literally, before our first um, gig, which was at the Faversham in Leeds, mm. um, about a week before I bought a pair of 1210s and furiously, furiously practiced and worked out the basis of a, a set. I was so nervous. Anyway, I turned out to play. Luckily, Justin was there as well because, you know, if I'd been on my own, I just would have been in a terrible state. But anyway, I turned up and the guy doing the warm-up was like a DMC Mixmaster champion. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, oh, shit. And, uh, yeah, it was like, what am I going to do? But luckily, this track, as well as being a great party starter because it's got a wicked groove, the tempo's just right, it's just, you can... You know, it's just, I mean, hopefully you'll, you'll play it in a minute. But not only that, but it's got a, a nice introduction with no beats that you can just drop in. And it's got some great scratching, which I think is Steve Conuetto, who was who used to run FS UK, who's actually a brilliant scratcher. He used to do all the scratching on ski lifts stuff. Um, uh, so it's got a great opportunity to just drop the record you're playing before, just stop it and bring that in. And, go, and then it's got this like vocal intro. And then this wicker groove that just changes the scene and the vibe for everything in a really great way. And it's also a really long track, which gives you time to yeah. get your beat mixing tight. And then it's got a really long outro, lots of crazy scratching. So even if you do like squiff it a little bit or whatever, <laughs> then it sounds like you're doing it on purpose. So it saved my bacon, this track, and I'll always thank it for that. But um, but it's an amazing track. The Ski Whiff guys, I mean, Jalapeno, started more or less when we did as well and i sort of i just kind of see them as a sort of um brother label mm. uh um in a way and um we did used to play a lot of their stuff and i think they did us and we did a lot of mixes for them and vice versa so 
I have a sort of affection and a connection with Ski Whiff and the Jalapeno crew and Trevor and everybody. So um, that would be my track. Amazing. But don't tell anybody, it's my personal private secret. <laughs> Jem, it's been amazing chatting to you. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to the party uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And um, good luck with the album. Looking forward to hearing more about it. And yeah, I'll see you on Saturday. Great. Thanks for having me. What does it take to be a hip-hop DJ? Well, first, you have to know that DJ stands for disc jockey. For disc jockey. For disc... For disc... For disc... DJ on two turntables. And that the discs that these DJs spin aren't compact discs, but old-fashioned records. This is the story of how to create a great beat. 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 This is the story of how to create a great beat. Beat. mixing and stunting.
Cutting, scratching, mixing, and stunning. Cutting, scratching, mixing, and stunning. <laughs> 